hold that up. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. The powerful word of God can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at your neighbor and just say whatever you want to say. Wow, when did you get here? No, okay, that's awesome. I want to start a new series. How many of you, how many of you know uh, what a game show looks like? I think of Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. Now, when you do Wheel of Fortune, how do you, how do you get the prize money? Spin the wheel, that's right. And you never know what's, where it's going to land, do you? It could land on bankrupt, and we all hold our breath, and it just passes by bankrupt, and we go, yay! And it's not even us winning, but we're just yay because it's there. Sometimes life gets treated like a game show. Understanding God's will, we just kind of spin the wheel, see where it's going to land, to see what we're going to do based on where it lands. But how do we know God's will for our life? When you're a kid, you, you tend to ask questions. Should I focus on soccer or should I play baseball? Should I be in the band or be in the choir? Then as you get older, you ask about college should I go, or should I go straight to work? And if I go to college, what college should I go to? Do I major in this or do I major in that? And when you get out of college, questions continue as you seek God's will. Should I take a job with this company or that company? Should I stay here or should I move away? Some guy asks a girl out and the girl says to herself, you know, should I go out with him? I mean, he's kind of cute, but I don't know. He wants to marry me. Should I marry him? So she marries him, and then she goes, should I have kids? Should we have kids now? Should we have kids later? Should we have one? Should we have two? Should we have seven? Should we get a dog? Should we get a cat? Now, I want you to know God's will is for everyone to have a dog. There's just no doubt in my mind. All right, amen. And then the questions keep coming. Should we buy a house? Should we rent? Should we get a car? Should we get this car or that car? Should I go to this church or that church? Should I join this church or that church? And they go on and on and on. It's kind of like that. Game. We spin the wheel. Where's it going to land? God, if it's your will, would you make this happen? Then we start to we start to bargain with God, don't we? Hey, God, you know, if it's your will, when I come up to this next stoplight, would you make it stay green instead of turn to red? And if it turns red, I know it's, I know it's, I'm not supposed to do it. I mean, really. Our luck, we get stuck on amber. Amen. You know what the yellow light or the amber light on the stoplight means, don't you? Speed up. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you've done like me and you've started doing pros and cons. Well, God, if you will do this, here, here's all the pros of why I should do this. But if you'll give me an, an equal list or more of the cons, then, then I'm going to follow your will. It's funny how we do that. Marriage. Marriage, we do it in marriage. For example, is there one right person for everyone who's alive? Do you believe that? There's one person that's the right person for you. 
I'm not saying that's wrong, but if you do, the statistics are that you've got the one in three, uh, three billion shots at finding that one person. How is it that a couple can be married for a number of years, one of them will pass away, and the other one will marry again? Did they all of a sudden get a new God's will revelation and find a new one? It's kind of interesting to think about. I mean, guys, you're looking for that right woman, right? So you're, you think, well, mom said I could find her at church, so I'm going to go to church. And, and all of a sudden you're at church, and she walks in. And all of a sudden you notice. And not only notice, but she walks in and she has a godly aura about her. And she's carrying a Bible. She said, that looks good for me. I'm, I must be the one. You know nothing about her. You know nothing about him. But we tend to do this, don't we? But we're going to lay a foundation today. And that foundation today will help us for the rest of the uh, sermons the rest of the month. When we look at what is God's will, what is God's will? I've got on the screen a slide for you. Anybody tell me what that is? Hey, we're, we're already ahead of the game. You already know what it is. There are three boundaries that God places in our lives to help us determine the will of God. The first goalpost, which will be on the left, is God's providential will. It's the providential will of God. So you can write that down in your, in your outline. The providential will of God. But what is that? That's the will of God that's going to take place no matter what. It's going to happen no matter what. For example, when God decided it was time for, to send Jesus to this world to die on the cross to save us from our sins... There was nothing you or I could do about it. He was coming. And when he gets ready to send him back to bring his bride, the church, home back to heaven with him, there's not a thing you and I can do to stop it. Oh, you may, you may wish it didn't happen. You may hope it doesn't happen. You may not even believe it's going to happen. But guess what? It's God's providential will, and it's going to happen. Because that's what God does. doesn't matter what you believe. doesn't matter if you have faith in it. doesn't even matter if you speak out against it. It's the providential will of God, no matter what. Now, on the right side... We see the second, and that's the moral will of God. You've got the providential, then you've got the moral will of God. And so what is that? According to Scripture, God wants you on the right side of his moral will. For example, would it be morally okay for you to have premarital sex based on what the Scripture teaches? You can say it out loud. Okay, uh, let's try that again. You can say that out loud. I hope you believe that. If not, we're in trouble. Would, would it be right for you to be too harsh with your spouse according to the moral will of God? That's no again, by the way. Would it be right for you to lie and to cheat on your taxes That's a no also. I'll, I'll say it loud enough for you. I'm concerned about you folks. So God has two boundaries. The providential will that will happen no matter what, and the moral will of God, that which God wants you to live out every day. He wants us to be so 
tuned to his word and his word in us that we live based on the moral law of God. Wouldn't this world be tremendous if we lived that way? I'll take an amen or a yes on three. One, two, three. Amen. Oh. I'm glad I don't I have to work one day a week. This is crazy. At least that's what they keep telling me. All right. So he wants us to live that daily moral life. You know, there wouldn't be any war if we operated this way. There really wouldn't. Because you realize that the Middle Eastern war could be over tomorrow if both sides would meet at the Jordan River and say, hey, I'm sorry. It's that simple. It's that simple. But if you'll go back and read the descendants of Ishmael, they're going to be wild as donkeys. <laughs> and they're going to fight among themselves. And that's what they're doing. God said that way back in Genesis, by the way. And somewhere between the providential will of God and the moral will of God is the third boundary, and that's the top crossbar, and it is our personal will. Our personal will. That is God's will for you specifically. And what you need to understand is that God's personal will for your life will be somewhere between the providential will of God and the moral will of God. And it's an important thing for you to remember. And the more that you understand the providential will of God, what God is doing in this world, and the more you live by the moral will of God, where God calls you to do according to Scripture, the better you will be able to discern the personal will of God for your life. But we've got to make sure we understand it. The more we understand what God's doing in this world and the more you understand what God calls you to do morally, the better you'll be able to understand what God wants you to do specifically. Let me try to explain it a different way. I read a story about a man who became a fully devoted follower of Christ developed a relationship with the preacher in that church that he made his commitment in. His whole life was completely changed, and as he and the preacher got to know each other, the preacher learned more and more about his story. And uh, he told him that God is going to call you back home, this preacher did. He said, God's going to call you back home where your family is. And this guy says, oh, no, 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 man. I found the Lord in this church, and I'm, I'm not going to leave this church. There's no way. I don't want to leave your teaching. Uh, man, I'm going to stay right here. And it went on and on and on and on. About six months later, um, after he did go home, <laughs> he got hold of the preacher. He said, you know, I think you're right. Because I got home, and when I got home, my youngest brother was, uh, came down with a terminal brain cancer. And I was able, just before he died to lead him to salvation in Christ. And it was better for him to be on financial sound footing to go back home because he had a lot of family not saved and he had a lot of friends not saved. And this preacher just felt like this was the thing for him to do. But how did the preacher know that? Well, because the preacher understood God's providential will and God's moral will. Because his providential will is that none should perish but all 
should come to salvation. He wants that for everybody. Everyone. And the moral will is that you and I are supposed to take the message <laughs> to those that don't know it. So the, pres- the pres- providential will of God, what God's doing in the world no matter what, represents the moral will of God. Again, on the, on the, uh, the other side, God's will for our lives morally. And then that top crossbar deals with then how our personal will fits somewhere between those two. So we're building a foundation. And what I'd like for us to do is to make sure that we're doing it through Scripture and that we're on the correct side of God's moral will. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3. And the Bible says it this way. It is God's will that you should be what? So what's the word sanctified mean? It comes from the Greek word hagiosmos. I've got it there in your outline. It means purification, state of purity. It means without impurity or pollution. That's how God wants you and me to be, without any pollution at all. So that's what we watch, what we say, what we read, what we hear. <laughs> A little song we teach kids in Junior church, oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you. Oh, be careful. He said, right? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. <laughs> if you're sitting around, don't have anything to do, you'll get in trouble. Verlin was out of town. And Jason and a couple of his buddies decided to go by the house just to check things out. Well, Neighbor didn't know who they were. So they were looking down the barrel of a shotgun, wondering, who are you over here? <laughs> Their prayer life increased greatly at that moment. Let's look at another verse, First Peter 4, and we, and we read it earlier. As a result, we should not live the rest of our earthly lives. What does it say? For evil human desires, for those sinful desires, the selfish desires that we have. Instead, we should live for the what? Will of God. So we should live on the correct side of the moral will of God. Verse 3, for you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose or chose to do. You spent enough time in your past doing that. Quit doing that. But let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. Sometimes being outside the moral will of God and sinning can be incredibly fun, can't it? Sin is a fun activity. If it wasn't, we wouldn't be as involved in it. Would you say amen? Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't want to be churchy and all that stuff. And don't get religious on me here. But it can be a lot of fun. But along with the fun, it's incredibly dangerous incredibly dangerous. A guy once had a next-door neighbor who had a car that he always parked in front of this guy's house. Well, the guy stopped uh, at the guy's house, and he'd ask him, hey, quit, quit parking in front of my house. Quit doing that. Well, the guy kept doing it. So finally one day, the neighbor leaves the parked car there, but he left the windows rolled down. And so the guy thought, I've got an opportunity. So he turns his water sprinkler on, Waters down the guy's car, and yes, you got it, inside as well. Fun, fun, 
Sin can be fun, but it can be wrong. We sometimes cloak our insecurities by sarcasm. And we'll inflict verbal hurt on people when we don't really intend to. Honestly, we don't, but it comes out that way because we're so insecure and we don't... uh, Am I hitting the nerve? God's will is that you should be sanctified, that you should be inside His boundaries. So let's deal with sin today. Two types of sin. There in your notes what theologians call the sins of commission the sins of commission those are sins that we commit things that we're not supposed to do that we end up doing Paul asks the question Romans 6 1 and 3 shall we go on sinning that grace may increase in other words if we're going to be forgiven anyway why don't we just have some fun and just keep sinning makes sense to me (laughs) Bring it on, brother. I'll take all the grace you can pour on me because I'm going to keep on sinning. Yeah. Amen. Isn't that, isn't that what he's addressing? Because that's what the Roman Christians were saying. God will keep forgiving us. We'll just keep sinning. Jump down to verse 3. Shall we go sinning that grace may increase? He said, by no means, no way. Why? Because we died to sin. We died to sin. And when you die to something, it shouldn't affect you anymore. It's kind of like having a skin cancer. And if you had a skin cancer and the doctor said it's just barely going beneath the surface, the way sin can be fun is that we would say, hey, look, doc, just take off the surface part of that. Don't worry about the part that's underneath. I'm I'm getting kind of partial to this thing on my arms. It's okay. What are you going to have him do? How deep you got to go? You going to cut my arm off? Take it off. You know, right? Whatever. We want the deep cleansing that he can bring because of that surgery. God, I give you all my life. I give you all my heart. I'm going to live for you. I'm not going to live for me anymore. Don't you think God sometimes looks at us and goes, Really? Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think how he really looks at it is just awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. Because you see, he really wants us to do that. He really does. He wants to champion the fact that we want to do it. And he'll be there to help you and, and sustain you through it. When Christ was raised from the grave, inside each believer came a conviction toward holiness. How can we continue to live outside the protective, loving boundaries of a God? How can we risk it to be so foolish to live outside God's perfect will? So how is it that we end up outside of God's will? Reading about a shepherd the other day. Shepherd take care of sheep. Bible calls us sheep over and over and over. The one thing you know about sheep is they're stupid. That's a strong word, isn't it? Okay. They're dumber than a box of rocks. Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's, that's pretty strong, too. They're easily led astray. How's that? That's a little more palatable. 
You see, sheep are going to go, whoa, here's some green grass. <laughs> and they say, nom, 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 nom. And then they look up. Hey, there's some more. And before long, they've eaten the green grass on the other side of the fence so much, they can't find their shepherd anymore. When God wants to get to us, the best time to let him get to us is when we're at our lowest point. When you can't do it anymore. When you have to throw your hands up and say, okay, God, okay. <laughs> so often we don't ever do that. We do everything in our power, everything in our power until nothing happens and then, then we finally fall on our knees and call out to God. Why is it that we aren't deepening that relationship? Why aren't we that we aren't deepening our walk in the Word and, and being at church and, and being with the fellowship of believers? Why aren't we doing that? Well, because we're like sheep. Step by step, inch by inch, they're gone. I want to ask you two questions. First question is this, and I want you to prayerfully consider these questions. Number one, what are you doing outside the moral will of God? What are you doing, in other words, that you shouldn't be doing? What are you doing that you shouldn't be doing? Now, some of you are hyper-spiritual folks, and you're going to say, well, bless God, I'm not doing anything wrong, preacher. I'm just perfect in every way. God is blessed to have me a part of his kingdom. Just take a look at me. I look like the best Casey Christian you've ever seen. Oh, pride's an ugly thing, isn't it? If you ever believe you've attained it, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because we never, until the day we die, actually attain it. <laughs> Once we die, I love Mark's description in Ephesians how that glorified body that's inside this one is ready to bust out. It's ready to bust out and live forever. Woo! <laughs> no knee issues. All the butter brickle ice cream you want. I could eat nine watermelons and never worry about going to the bathroom. Hallelujah. Amen. I can actually have cake that has sugar in it will be great be sure and make sure that word pride is written down in your outline because it's a sin in your life if you feel like you've really arrived because all of us are bent towards sin what are you doing that's outside God's will it could be that you still have incredible lustful thoughts it could be that you are gripped in a very materialistic world where you think to yourself and you believe it. If, if I just had one more thing, a little more money, boy, I'd be happy. I'd be happy. Bigger house, bigger boat, bigger car, better clothes, different lifestyle, boy, then I'd be happy. Could be that you're married and you're dis disrespecting your spouse, you're not submitting to one another in love. Could be that you have a rebellious attitude. Could be that you're rebelling against your parents. Tell these kids all the time. If you can't obey your parents, you can't obey God. I, I, I really shouldn't have had to wait for that one to say amen. Because you know what? If you can't 
respect and honor and obey your parents, how in the world are you ever going to submit to God? So why should we run you through the waters of baptism to get you set for a new life when you're not even willing to obey your parents? Could be that you're harboring bitterness, unforgiveness. Could be that you have stinking thinking and you need a checkup from the neck up. Everything you pick it apart. That's the first thing you say. Is, well, it ain't going to work. Well, it's going to be all there. You don't even have to say anything. It sounds like you're going. And everybody around you is going, wow, man, I'm so glad to see you. Because you pick everything apart. Can you find anything good to talk about? Anything good to say? You ever walked into a dark movie theater? Let me show you how this works. You ever walk into a dark movie theater? And you're trying to see. <laughs> you can't see. You can barely thank, thank the Lord. They have little lights on the steps so you can see where those are. But after you're in there a while, what happens? Your eyes adjust. And adjust to the darkness. And now you can see more clearly in the dark. Cockroaches love the dark. They're set on fire by hell itself. Cockroaches. In Texas, they're this big. In Oklahoma, they're just little bitty. And why is it that when the light is exposed in the room, they do what? Like animals. There ain't no raids on the way. That's right. <laughs> but you stumble around in there, but your eyes get adjusted. Before long, the movie's over. You can go to the exit. You don't need light anymore. And when you walk out and you hit that light, what happens? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I would argue... Some people have lived outside the moral will of God so long that their eyes have simply adjusted to the darkness and that they've gotten what the light, forgotten what the light looks like. Let the light of Jesus illuminate the darkness. Let your heart be broken by the things that break the very heart of God. When's the last time you came to a point of broken and humbleness and repentance before God and you said to God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for all the filth and the trash that takes me outside your will. Make me clean. Make me new in every way. God, forgive me. Transform me. Change me. Change these sins of commission. What are you doing you're not supposed to do to be doing? Second question deals with the sins of omission. Omission. Write that down. Sins of omission. That's the things that we should be doing that we're not doing. James 4.17 Talks about that. Anyone who then who knows the good that he ought to do, but he doesn't do it, does what? Sins. Anyone knows the good that he's to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin. So here's the question. What are you not doing that God wants you to do? What is it that you're not doing that God wants you to do? What are you not doing that you're supposed to do? Well, there's a couple of things in my life, and I want to be a little bit honest with you this morning. I haven't been as consistent in my daily quiet time with God as I need to be. For whatever reason, I get, you get sidetracked from that, or I did. I got sidetracked from spending that dedicated quality time to God and with God. And I find there's an emptiness 
I find there's times of depression because I'm not close to God. And I get focused on things I don't need to focus on. I get to thinking on things I don't need to think about. So I'm going to get back into that. I've already gotten back into it. And then the second thing I mentioned in Sunday school is that I, and by the way, I'd, I'd like for you to hold me accountable to my quiet time. Periodically ask me, hey, how you doing? What have you been reading lately? And hopefully I'll be able to tell you something. But the other thing, I, I really think it's important that preachers that have been at this a while need to take young preachers and help them. And so I'm asking for God to send into my life one or two young preachers that I can be a mentor to, that I can help, that I can pass what limited knowledge I have, but at least pass along to somebody else. I enjoyed visiting with Chris this week, uh, young in Bible college. I looked back at 19 and thought, my goodness. I remember going to my first summer internship in Dalhart, Texas. I got there and the preacher said, and I was 19, preacher got, I got there and the preacher said, I haven't taken a vacation in eight years, so I'm taking four weeks. So you'll have to handle everything. There's some weddings, there's some funerals that'll come up, so you'll have to handle them. Well, he acted like I was a real experienced person. So not to act like an idiot, I said, sure, no problem. I didn't handle that, no problem. So I went to the little office they'd made up for me and around my card table, and I shut the door and I cried. And I said, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because <laughs> I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't have anybody I could ask. But God got us through it, and I'm grateful. But I'm telling you, Young preachers need to be encouraged. There will never be enough preachers in this world. Never. And they're dropping out in droves. They're dropping out of ministry, full-time ministry in droves. We've had a number come through this church that are no longer in the full-time ministry for whatever reason. And it's sad to me. It breaks my heart. But you know what? I'm praying that they're still active and that ministry goes on in their life because it can in fact, there's sometimes you're more effective as a non-member, I mean non-minister person doing tent-making work out, in the, out, out there in the world. So I'm praying that happens in, in the lives of these guys that have been around us. But oftentimes we delay obedience. And when we delay obedience, it's really disobedience. And God wants you and me to live in a, such a way that we understand his providential will, it's going to happen no matter what, his moral will based on the word of God that we need to implant in our lives daily, and somewhere between there, he's, he's going to tell us what we need to be doing. And we need to be used and let God use us. Maybe you're supposed to do something for somebody else who's in need. Maybe you're supposed to begin to tithe and you haven't done it before. Maybe you're supposed to uh, uh, be a generous giver, and I'm not talking about just money giving of your time and your skills and your talents because those are equally as important to the God's kingdom. Amen? Maybe you're supposed to get involved in the church and be a very biblically functional believer of Christ. Not an observer or a spectator but a participant in the plan and the glory of God in the local church. I'm amazed at how many in our church are just content to just be here on Sunday morning. And just, that's it. That's all they want to do. And this hour, hour and a half we have, plenty. I hope they're doing stuff in the week. I don't see them, so I don't know. <laughs> but it amazes me. Maybe you're supposed to be a part of a small group. We've got a couple of them that meet here every week. Maybe you should be a part of that. 
Maybe God's laying on your heart to start a ministry. Maybe you've got a vision that you need to share. See, I don't know what it is that's burning deep inside you. But what are you doing that you're not supposed to be doing? And what are you not doing that you're supposed to be doing? Then you might be saying, you know, preacher, I've, I've drifted so far and my life is so messed up, there's no reason for me to even try. Really? Could I suggest to you Moses? Could I suggest to you the Apostle Paul? Could I suggest to you an old fisherman named Peter? Could I suggest to you a man named Abraham? Could I suggest, you see what I'm saying? Genesis Revelation is full of people just like you and me. Imperfect. Trying to do life together. If you're looking for a perfect church, this isn't it. If you're looking for a church that loves Jesus and is going to do our best to love you, this is it. Remember some of the old video games? Donkey Kong and, and uh, Space Invaders and Galaga. Uh, Asteroids was my favorite. You, could, you know, you could have them all things, stick figure things coming in at you and you could hit a button in hyperspace and shoot you out of there. I've often wondered, man, I'd like to have one of those in my spiritual life where I could just hit a button and and you know what I do have? It's called prayer. And I'm not taken out of space, but I'm receiving hyper grace when God pours it out on me. And I'm grateful that he loves me and cares about me the way he does. I would argue all day long that there's a button and we can push called prayer and we should be doing it. And remember that God's going to work things the way they should. Ephesians 1.11 says, In Christ we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of the one who, the one who works out everything in conformity with and with the purpose of, of what? With his help. His help. See, he doesn't want to leave us alone on our own devices. He wants to help us. We serve a God who, in a moment of need, will be there, who will bring light into a dark life, who will let His, his light shine by hyper-grace to bring forgiveness instantly, transform us instantly, and to change us. You can experience the goodness and the blessings of the will of God from this all-knowing and all-powerful, ever-present, completely loving God. So what are you doing that you're not supposed to be doing? And what are you not doing that you're supposed to be doing? May we die to ourselves so that all our lives will reflect His glory. And may we live in nothing but the perfect will of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your love for us. I thank You for Your watch care over us. Father, I'm praying today that You will be very real in the lives of Your people here at this church. That, Father, we will sense a presence that we haven't felt before and will respond in a way that we haven't in, in the past. There may be somebody in this room that's never claimed you as their personal Lord and Savior. I would love to sit down and teach them what you mean by that in Scripture. There are others who just need to join a church and they need to put their roots down and say that we want to be a part of this church and this community and be an influence. Would you move in their heart to do that? Then there will be a, another group of people that just need to call out to you in prayer. Say, God, I've, I've drifted. I want to get back. Today would be a great day to come back. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a song of invitation. It's for you to respond as we stand and sing together.